Welcome, friends. My name is Courtney. I'm the pastor of Connections here. So glad. Yeah. Oh, a little train whistle. Okay, it's going to be a good day. Watch out. I would love to know how many of you remember this. If you do, whether you're uh, at home or in the room, do it with me. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. I know my age is showing. Open the doors and see all the people. Very nicely done. Give yourselves a round of applause. All right. Well, why do we teach that to children? We teach it to children because it matters that the people of God gather in the church. Opening the doors and seeing the people, whether on Facebook or on Zoom or whether in the room, it matters. You know why? Because we get to love one another, we get to worship God together, and we get to share our stories of hope because, friends, we need hope. Today, as we look at how God restores our hope, I want you to consider this, that God uses stories in God's word to restore our hope. God uses story in our own lives, and God uses story in the lives of others. We get to be hope seekers and hope sharers. People, this world needs your story of hope. As you listen today, I pray that you'll ask the Holy Spirit to show you the places in your life where God has restored your hope. And then, beyond that, that the Spirit would encourage you to share your story with another who feels hopeless. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you that we get to open the doors and see all the people. That you make beauty from ashes in our lives and the lives of other, others. And that you restore all things one day perfectly in eternity. For now, God, I pray that you would hide me behind your word, that you would be glorified and magnified, and we would be encouraged and go out with joy and be led forth in peace because your people have gathered around your throne today. And all God's children said, amen. I want you to think about these three things. I know it's super Presbyterian of me to say that. I am covenant now, but it is also Presbyterian of me to say we're going to look at three things today. I want you to consider today how and when has God restored hope in your life as we look at restoration? Whose story of hope has blessed you? And with whom do you need to share your story of hope? Nadia Boltzweber is a radical, great preacher who loves Jesus. She's in Denver, Colorado. She said this recently, sometimes I think that the only thing that can save us are the stories of other people. There are times that the only thing that can find us in the dark is the light of another person's story. It's an old and unbeatable medicine, she says, that we can find ourselves in the words of another. Our stories, she says, are torches, the light of which helps us feel less afraid. Fear be banished in the name of Jesus and by the hope we encounter when we encounter God's story. Amen? People who speak honestly about their lives are the people who have most often rescued me when I'm in peril. For me, stories of hope remind me that restoration is happening in me and all around me in big and small places. Where can I gain a new and recycled view? Where can you regain a new and recycled view when you're weary, when your hope is weary and threadbare? like the couch on the left-hand side of the screen. Friends, we get to look to the author and finisher of our faith to restore our hope. Let's begin today with a definition of hope. 
Merriam-Webster says that hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. That sort of sounds like wishful thinking to me. That is not how hope is defined in Scripture. Timothy Keller, in his most recent book, Hope in Times of Fear, focuses on the resurrection and the meaning of Easter. He says this, the biblical word elpida is translated as our weaker word hope. But what it really means is profound certainty. Now, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say that hope is fierce, firm belief. Belief that God is at work in your story. Keller says hope becomes such a part of who we are as followers of God that we can face anything. Let's look at a scripture that points us to hope. Hebrews 6.13 from the message. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Listen to this. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus, running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus ran ahead of us, my friends. Come on, we got to get a little hallelujah for that. Shout of praise. Okay, come on. Okay, running, not my thing. I'm glad Jesus ran, but I don't run. My friend Katie is an ultra runner. I've known her for about 20 years. And Katie began running when she was 12, right after her father died as a result of his alcoholism. Her story of running a 100-mile race is, for me, a story of hope. See, if this little tiny sliver of her story encourages you. She said, you know, Court, when I first began training, I realized there's no such thing as actually training for a 100-mile race. She said, I I have an expert friend. I asked her what to do, how to train, what to eat, and she gave me great advice, always encouraging me to find what worked for me in my training regimen. She said, I got to the starting line the first day of my first race. I was excited. I was anxious. I was eager. And the hard part of running an ultra is you have no idea what time you're going to finish or how you're going to feel. Sounds like my spiritual life. What time am I going to finish, Jesus? How am I going to feel? You have no control over the weather, which can play a really crucial role. All She said, all I know is God who got me to the starting line is going to get me to the finish line. Amen? She said, the first 55, first 55 miles were awesome. I was in the zone. I was in the rhythm. I felt great. My team said, you look great. I was enjoying every step. And then mile 56, the clouds came in. The night fell, and I was left with a headlight a flashlight, and a pacer. The job of a pacer is really more to be an encourager than to keep you running at a particular pace. The Holy Spirit is our pacer, my friends. One more thing she said about a pacer. When you're running a 100-mile ultra, you have to eat. And she said, you know, the last thing I want to do is eat. Food tastes like straw. But her pacer, her encourager, said, if you do not get nutrition, I will stop running with you. So she stopped. She got some nutritious food. She said, what I consume during a race really matters. Did you hear that? What we consume really matters. 
We need nutrition, friends, sustenance, like actual nourishing food for the journey. When my kids were little, I'd say, are you going to have fun food or growing food? They are both available. Let's start with the growing food. We need nutrition. As we've seen in the series, we live in this season of already but not yet. The kingdom of God has entered the world, but we haven't seen it in its fullness, nor will we until we're eternally with Jesus. Theologian John Stott says this, we must not underestimate how present the kingdom of God is, but we also must not underestimate how unrealized and present the eternity is. I say this to you, we have two hands, one for hope, one for hardship. Because the kingdom is here in part, but not in full, we live with both. When we hear and recite stories of hope, our hope is rebuilt and restored. In the stories of hope, we see God recycling, refreshing, and renewing. We are post-resurrection people, my friends. Come on. Let's go. Jeffrey's being quiet. It's too much aloha for him. Thank you, post-resurrection people. <laughs> Theologian Ritabos states this. Because of the resurrection, we have the presence of the future with us now, the power by which God will finally destroy all suffering, evil, deformity, and death at the end of time. It's broken into our history now and is available partially and substantially, but not in whole. So I've got to ask you, what are you consuming? Nutritious food or junk food? Are you getting the nutrients you need to sustain you for your ultra run toward Christ? Or are you focused on the dramatic headlines of our world? In her sermon entitled, What's Your News Source? Barbara Brown Taylor says, good news, I'm going to call those stories of hope today, good news doesn't neutralize bad news. That's not the point of it. The point is that those two kinds of news can live closer together than most of our news sources would have us believe. What we, consumes, what we consume matters. What are we dining on? Well, one of the things I love about preaching is that it gives me the opportunity to dive into material I might not otherwise dive into. And you're not going to believe what I discovered. I'm such an English and word nerd. I love this. There is a whole field of science called narratology, right? It's just what you think it is. They study why and how the brain loves stories. Guess what? Even our brains are designed by God to love story. Why? Because we're social creatures. And stories are an effective way to transmit what is important to us. We gain information and values we share in community. Remember? Open the doors and see all the people, right? We attend a story because we intuitively understand that we, too, might have to face what others are facing even difficult tasks. And we need to learn how to develop our own deep hope muscles, my friends. It is no surprise to me that Jesus used story to capture our attention. Let me tell you a little story from scripture, from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus crosses over to the boat, a great crowd has gathered around him, he's moving through the crowd, and a leader of the synagogue named Jairus comes in. He falls at Jesus' feet and he says, please, Jesus, come. My daughter is dying. So Jesus moves with Jairus toward his house. 
massive crowd, people are pushing in against him. As, he, as he's moving then, Jesus just stops. He stops because he feels power go out of him. He says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? You're in the middle of a crowd. And he says, who touched me? I felt power go out from me. Who touched me? Finally, a woman comes, and I can envision her meekly, like with her head hanging. She comes forward, and she says, I did. I touched just the hem of your garment, because I knew if I touched it, I could be healed. Then Jesus does something amazing. Remember, he's on his way to rescue the 12-year-old girl who's dying at Jairus' house. But he stops, and he looks at her, and he says, my daughter, your faith, just touching the hem of my robe, your faith has made you whole and healed you. Tell me your story. Now, for 12 years, she's had this, it's called a blood issue. We don't know exactly what it means. But for 12 years, it means that she would have been unclean. That means she's cast out of society. No family reunions, no picnics, no parties. She doesn't get to hold the new baby. Nothing. Talk about isolation. Talk about social distancing. And with one touch of Jesus' robe, she is healed. She gets to re-enter society. Hey, friend, she's going in mask-free. What do you think of that? I'm for that. She's ready. Jesus knows that he has enough power to pause and deal with her and love her and hear the whole story, Jairus' daughter will wait because God is God. Jesus is Jesus, right? Moving forward in the story, Jesus does go on to Jairus' house. With healing came an opportunity for this woman. Do you think she was silent about what Jesus did or do you think she went and told every person I think she shouted it from the rooftops. That's my vision of what must have happened for her. Well, while Jesus is speaking, Jairus' servant comes up and says, it's too late. Don't bother Jesus. She's dead. The child is dead. Death is a dramatic word, but with our Lord and Savior, as we know because of the resurrection, it is not the final word. My friend, Kristen, knows something about death and life. We met on a pilgrimage in Israel. And she had a unique tattoo. I'll show it to you in a minute. But she had a unique tattoo on her arm. And I asked her to tell me her story. And eagerly and with tears running down her face, she said this. God raised me from emotional, emotional and spiritual death to life after enduring a childhood of physical and emotional abuse, I repeated the same pattern in my own marriage, she said. One of her young daughters came to her and said, why does daddy hurt you? You tell us not to hurt other people. I think someone should be kind to you, like Susie's dad is to her mom. Brutal. That's how Kristen describes starting over. And it has been the voice of the Holy Spirit and other people's stories of hope that have encouraged her along the way. She said, Christ has sustained me. Jesus is breaking generational sin and breaking the bondage that I knew in childhood. She said, I know now with all my heart that my little girlies and their children and their children's children will be free because of Jesus. This 
is Kristen's tattoo. Talitha Kumi means little girl, arise. She has risen to life in Christ. Her story of hope was a blessing to the people on the pilgrimage with us. It is a blessing to me today. Friends, your story matters. In the seasons to come, we're going to help you practice telling your story of hope. I want you to know that hope is not a wish or a want. Look at this. Brene Brown says, hope is not an emotion. It is a way of thinking, a cognitive process. That's Brene Brown's description of hope. Mine, hope can be learned. And in order to learn it well, it must be practiced. Friends, let's practice looking for and listening to stories of hope, seeking places where we see God's restoration, where there has been a pile of ashes and God has restored something new to life. Today, we're going to go to the table. The table is an altar. The table is a place of hope. As we go, would you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you places in your life where you need God's hope? Ask the Spirit to show you places in your life where you have a story of hope to share with someone in your neighborhood or in your sphere of influence. How has God restored hope in you? Let's thank God for that today.